<clears throat> okay, recording. You have a story to tell, and maybe you've thought, I should start a podcast. Meet Anchor. It's a powerful app that lets you record a podcast anywhere and get it heard everywhere. All you need to do is download the free Anchor app and hit record. Just go to anchor.fm slash get started. Your story matters. Make a podcast with Anchor. That's anchor.fm slash get started. Great. I think we got it. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. What's up, guys? Welcome to this podcast. My name is Salman Ali at Salman Ali NBA on Twitter. Here's joined by Jackson Gatlin, host of the Lockdown Rockets podcast. How you doing, man? What's up, man? It's been a minute since we've talked. How are you doing? I'm, I'm, I'm doing. I'm. I've, I've seen better days, but uh, how, how are you holding up? Yeah, the last time we recorded, we were actually at 790. Right? Was, was that the station you were at? Yeah, we were at 790 in person. It was very cool. Um, I am no longer with 790, so those uh, those days are long over. But uh, it, it was a very cool situation to be able to pull you into the into the studio and use all that uh, fancy equipment, right? Yeah, yeah. And now we can't even be in the same room. Well, I guess we can. Have you been vaccinated? I have. I am double dosed up. I am. I am vaxxed and waxed, as the, as the kids are saying. That's good to hear. As the kids are, I don't think the kids are calling it that. I think I think the kids on Twitter are calling it that something about something. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't know what's going on. I, I'm not I'm not hip with the slang. Well, the kids need to stop if, if that's what they're calling it. Like, come on. <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So I've been vaccinated as well. Uh, I'm I'm pretty happy. I feel very safe. I feel very comfortable. Still wearing the mask, though, just because they just it's not really a big hindrance. I don't feel like it bothers people when I'm out in public. So it's like and I feel like it makes other people feel more comfortable around me when I'm wearing the mask. So I'm like, it, it doesn't really hurt me that much. So I was like, might, might as well, you know? Yeah, I know. I mean, well, so I'm, I'm also a type one diabetic. So, you know, I'm in the high risk category and you know, I'm going to continue to wear a mask because um, at the end of the day, it doesn't bother me one bit um, and it's the right thing to do. Uh, you know, as we, as we continue to strive towards, you know, potentially, you know, maybe hitting, you know, herd immunity with enough people getting vaccinated, all that good stuff. But, uh, but yeah, man, uh, you know, it's, uh, these are very interesting times we're living through. I think the Biden administration said that we should be good by July 4th or something like that. Like we could be hosting outdoor, like large outdoor gatherings by that point, which if that's the case, I'm pretty happy. Like that's, what is that? Like two months from now? It's not bad. To be fair, there's plenty of people hosting outdoor gatherings uh, as is right now and just, you know, with no regard for what's going on for public health and safety protocols. So, yeah, yeah. Well, we're not those people. All right. No, no, we are not. No, no, we're we are not. So 
I really wanted to talk today about Kevin Porter Jr. I've kind of touched on him before on this podcast, but in passing, and never really did a deep dive on him. And now is as good a time as any, as he just had a 50-point, 11-assist game against the Bucks last week. The Bucks, by the way, are the sixth best defense in the NBA. He is one of four players in NBA history to do that. Here are the other three players. LeBron James, Brandon Jennings, and Devin Booker. So pretty good company. Um, and when you have a game like that, you're instantly on the map. Every NBA team has you has put you higher on their scouting report now, and every NBA fan is now watching to see what the hell you become as a player. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, first of all, what was your reaction watching that game? It was so, and you know, look, the parallels are there. You know, Rockets Twitter has taken to calling Kevin Porter Jr. Baby Harden. Oh yeah, and we need to stop that. Is is that what they're doing? Is that really what they're doing? It really is. Yeah, you know, yeah. People, that 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 needs to like put the put the kibosh on that right now. <laughs> like, well, 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 why are we putting? So here's my question: Why are we putting the kibosh on it? Why? Because he he's not. He's 20 years old. Like right now, you should not have any expectations or established opinion on him right now. If you're projecting James Harden, you're more likely going to be disappointed than satisfied with what he becomes. And I I firmly agree with you on that stance, but I will play devil's advocate here and say you have to see the the similarities in their game, right? If you know, and, and Kevin Porter Jr. himself having said that he has modeled his style of play after James Harden, that he looked up to James Harden. He was, you know, James Harden was his uh, NBA draft comp. You know, when you know a couple years ago when he was drafted. So re- realistically, I think it's perfectly fine to to stick with that comparison of their two play styles because they do play you know, a very similar style. And now granted, there's some differences in, you know, their physical makeup, you know, how they approach the game. And like you, like you've already alluded to KPJ is just 20 years old, right? Sky's the limit for him. He's still got a long way to go uh, before he, you know, reaches his potential ceiling, uh, whatever that may be, whether it does look something similar to an established James Harden or whether it's something else entirely, I think it's perfectly fine to, you know, kind of have a little fun with it in a season where, Rockets fans have kind of gone through it, right? It's been a very tumultuous season. There's been uh, a lot that you know the fans have put up with and dealt with uh, in this campaign. So if hanging their hat, if hanging their hopes on Kevin Porter Jr. Um, being, you know, a, a star guard talent like James Harden, maybe not, you know, the next James Harden, but, you know, kind of pinning their hopes on, on his potential panning out. I think that's okay, right? To have a little bit of a, you know, a twinkling hope down the line. Listen, I have no problem with Rockets fans being excited about Kevin Porter Jr., but we can lower the bar a little bit, like just a little bit. Like, can we go like Manu? Can we go like D'Angelo Russell? Hell, can we go like DeMar DeRozan? Like, so, like can we just lower the bar? The bar. <laughs> one of these. A one of these bit. things is definitely. One of these things is definitely not like the others, my man. How are you going to put? You go Manu, D'Lo, and then DeMar DeRozan, who does not fit the mold of this type of player, like whatsoever. To me, like I, I, I you know, you go from guys who are definitely, you know, kind of combo guards with some playmaking ability. I, I guess I don't see the. I just don't see the three ball element from from DeMar DeRozan. So, um, but DeMar DeRozan is also a very underrated player. So maybe I'm just not giving him his due respect. I mean, to be fair, I don't see the three ball with Kevin Porter Jr. yet. I mean, he's 32% from three and we're going to talk about him. We're going to talk about him in a minute. But like he has a lot to work on before he's even in the category of those guys. Like I, I just think like we can set the bar lower. Like it's I think it's okay 
to be excited about him, but you don't have to aim for Harden right away. <laughs> like it's you're just asking to be disappointed is my thing. But and again, part of it is, you know, Rockets fans are searching for something, anything, right? Grasping at straws almost to to have, you know, a hope for a better tomorrow after you know, how rough this season has been, you know, having to move on from your franchise player and not getting back a, a quantifiable return, you know, having to wait uh, and play this wait and see game with the, you know, the future Brooklyn Nets uh, first round draft picks and seeing how those pan out, whether they actually, you know, become certified draft picks or whether uh, new GM Rafael Stone utilizes them in some form of a, you know, a monster trade deal or something to that effect, right? There's no, there was no instant gratification with the James Harden trade, right? The the most you got was Victor Oladipo and, you know, that 20 game experiment failed miserably. And now you're, you're coming out of it with, Kelly Olynyk, Avery Bradley, and a pick swap. So, and look, Kelly Olynyk has, you know, played great. You know, Kelly Larry Bird Olynyk has played great as a Houston Rocket, but that's still not the guy that you wanted out of a James Harden trade. So, for Kevin Porter Jr. to come in and show these these flashes, right? And I think that's what you're looking at with KPJ is he's definitely shown flashes here and there of of things that you know normal kind of end of the bench guys who never really crack a rotation or who never really, you know, have the buzz around them, you know, normal guys can't do the kind of things that we've seen Kevin Porter Jr. do. They don't display the the court vision that we've seen from him or the the handling ability or the ability to, you know, break somebody down off the dribble and get to the rim, the creative handles, the finishes. Um, he just has a lot of it. And it's just right now, he hasn't been able to consistently put any of it together for any str- any elongated stretch and i think that the the 50 point you know 11 assist performance against the bucks was easily hit the best game of his career bar none and that was the closest we've seen to him really putting together an entire game where just everything clicked uh, and it's actually kind of ironic that previously, uh, you know, what you could regard as, as you know, what was previously hit the best game of his career until he became a Houston Rocket came against the Rockets in Cleveland last season when uh, he went toe to toe with uh, James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Yeah, twenty four points. Pointers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he was impressive. And I've actually started watching Rockets games uh, live after, like, after a month of watching them after the fact. So this is like my third game back watching them live, and. It, it definitely caught me off guard. It was an incredible performance. I wasn't sure he was capable of this kind of stuff. But to me, it crystallized how productive of an offensive player he can be if the three-point shot materializes and if he can get to the free throw line at a high rate. Because, again, he was 9 of 15 from three-point range and 9 of 11 from, from the free throw line in this game. This is a career 32% three-point shooter that gets to the line two and a half times per game. And if I were to pinpoint what his weaknesses are, uh, willingness to finish through contact in three-point shooting would be two of the top four. Um, it's possible to improve three-point shooting. It's been done before several times, but you have to be willing to shoot. You have to be willing to shoot them. And to his credit, his attempts per game have doubled since he's been tra- he's been traded to Houston. He was taking three a game in Cleveland. He's taking six a game with Houston. But being willing to drive in. Uh, to the trees and finish through contact or draw contact in the first place. That's kind of an innate quality. He has to will himself to do that on a more regular basis. And a lot of times I'll be watching Rockets games 
And when he gets into the teeth of the defense, he'll settle for a mid-range jumper instead of continuing to drive and take the contact. That That's obviously something he has to work on. But this was a game where he demonstrated what he can be if he does it. Obviously, some of this is strength training. He definitely needs to get stronger to take that nightly beating. But the other part of this is just not being afraid to just go for it. The tentativeness is something he needs to fight through. So a couple points on what you just hit on. Uh, first one of which is something, you know, the, the mid-range element that you talked about. And that's something that does tie in to his tentativeness, which I think is is a direct uh, result of his confidence. He, he, he ebbs and flows so much. There are certain games where he goes out there and, and you can tell that he has it flowing, that he is, you know, going to have a, a really strong performance. And it, it starts kind of, it's like a snowball effect, be it good or bad. And it tends to start early in the game. You can kind of get a feel early in a game with Kevin Porter Jr. If he's going to have a good night or a bad night. And, and it's partially because he's very animated when he's on the court. Like he shows his emotions. He wears his emotions on his sleeve when he's out there. If he may, you know, uh, you know, fumbles a pass, you know, bad turnover, misses an easy shot, whatever, you know, drives to the rim, gets contact, but doesn't finish. Um, you know, he, he expresses himself. And part of that is something that I've discussed is that, you know, these young players, you know, he's just 20 years old. He's going to have to work past the mental aspect of his game. And hopefully that's something that, uh, assistant coach John Lucas is, is continuing to, you know, work with him on and kind of help grow him and get him better, you know, get him better at, uh, I guess, accustomed to dealing with that element of the NBA game. Because when he does have his, you know, head squared, you know, screwed on right, screwed on right, I should say, and he's, you know, in the right headspace and he's playing with that level of confidence, he has all the tools to be a really effective player. And one of those areas for me is, you know, circling back to that mid-range comment that you had. I don't view the mid-range so much as like, I guess, a cop-out of him not being willing to drive all the way in and, and like absorb contact and, and finish through contact. I think that's more so like a comfort thing for him, right? Player, certain players have their like their comfort shots, right? The, the, the shots that they're going to be okay taking, uh, you know, just within the flow of the offense or they're, they're kind of like their easy shot, right? Um, we saw it for years with James Harden where, you know, occasionally he would fall a little bit too in love with that step back three pointer because that was his comfort shot, right? There were some games where he, you know, wasn't as aggressive driving to the hole, wanted to shy away from some of the contact and he would just fall in love with that step back three pointer. I kind of think from what I've seen from Kevin Porter Jr. across these 25 games as a Houston rocket is he uses that mid range jumper as like a rhythm tool to kind of get himself into rhythm. And it, he's, he actually converts on them at a pretty reliable clip. He's shooting 67% from the elbow. So like, that's decent. You know, I'm, I'm okay with him taking those shots, especially if it directly translates to him, you know, seeing the ball go through the, go through the hoop and kind of building up his confidence to then get the rest of his game rolling, whether that be attacking the basket, whether that be, you know, converting on shots from outside the three point line, um, if that's his, if that's what he needs. And I kind of talked myself into it last season as well with Russell Westbrook, you know, a guy who he definitely takes his fair share of mid range jump shots, not converting on them at a, at, at a 67% clip, unfortunately, but you know, he, he takes his fair share of mid range jump shots kind of as like, you know, rhythm shots, because those are just shots that he likes to take within the flow of his offensive game. 
But with Russ, it's different because you, you see him being willing to go all the way to the basket and finish through that contact or draw the contact. With Kevin Porter Jr., like, again, two and a half free throws per game. Like, he needs to get that up to, like, five, six, you know, hopefully seven or eight, right? If, if, if you want to see the development curve all the way through to him being potentially an all-star level player, he needs to get to that point. And I, I have no problem with, with players taking mid-range jumpers, but like for, with him, it just seems like sometimes he, it feels like he's not going all the way. Sometimes I feel like he's, he like puts, he pumps the brakes and takes that shot. And that's fine every once in a while, right? Like if, if you feel like that, that's your comfort shot. Like, you know, if you feel like that, it's a good in rhythm shot, it's okay. But eventually you're going to have to just go all the way and you're going to get your, um, you're, you're going to miss some layups. You're going to get hacked. Sometimes you're not going to get the free throws, but you need to be willing to get hacked in the first place. And I think that that's where I struggle with them. And that's like one, one of the four elements I feel like he needs to improve on. And I, do, I will say, I don't think it's for lack of trying, you know, I, you know, I do think that there are plenty of, you know, points throughout a game where Kevin Porter Jr. does drive all the way into the teeth of the defense and just comes away with nothing, whether it be, you know, a missed, you know, a missed shot at the rim or he, or like you said, he does get hacked, but doesn't receive the benefit of the whistle, um, and this is something that Ali Kambijani and I have actually discussed a little bit over at Locked on Rockets is that, you know, the differences physically between Kevin Porter Jr. and James Harden, right? James Harden is a is a big bodied guard, right? right He's a yeah. strong guard, one of, if not the strongest guard in the entire NBA. And so his entire game plan is like, you know, he's like a, like a, like a fullback, right? Like, you know, powering into the teeth of the defense, extending those big, strong arms, ripping up through defenders arms to draw the foul, forcing referees to blow the whistle, right? That was in all of James Harden's game. Kevin Porter Jr. Isn't that right. Kevin Porter Jr. Has a more slender build. He's more, he's more explosive, more athletic, um, you know, has a, has a better ability to elevate in the paint. And so I think we've kind of seen, some of these really creative finishes from Kevin Porter Jr. where he's able to elevate, take some contact, and still have the hang time to get a shot off and finish, you know, as he's falling down midair. I think he had one uh, against the Bucks in his 50-point performance where he went the length of the court, kind of wove through, or we- weaved, wove? Which word is this? Weaved? It doesn't matter. <laughs> Who cares? Wove. I, okay, wove. Yeah, he. Yeah. Wo- I, I don't think that's a word. Whatever. He wove <laughs> through, <laughs> through like three or four Bucks defenders before finally stopping with you know what wound up ba- basically being kind of a euro step and then absorbing the contact, but also having enough hang time to absorb the contact, fall back, and finish the shot in transition, and then complete the and one at the free throw line. So. That's the kind of move where James Harden, you know, would would be trying to finish through the defender at the rim, right? Whereas Kevin Porter Jr. did initiate the contact. He he made the right move, but his way of finishing the play involved, you know, again, not avoiding the contact, but going the opposite direction from it, right? He initiated the contact, got the whistle to blow, and then he was able to finish due to his athleticism. Right. And one thing that like he just has, right? And I think this is, a, this is something I'd mark in the positive column, right? His ability to pass at such a young age and willingness to pass to open guys, like that's something that, like that's innate. That that's just something you either have or you don't at a young age. You know, like absolutely, there yeah. there are people who get better at playmaking as as they advance in their career, but usually that's something they have to work on, and they're not as natural with it. 
right? This is something he, you know, and that goes in his positive call. Like he, he already has it. He already, he already has a good sense for where guys are and when and when to ca- when to give them the ball on the move. So that's something uh, from from that from that game. It was definitely on on display, and it's interesting because I was talking to a friend of the podcast two weeks ago. I mean, to a friend of the podcast two weeks ago about Kevin Porter Jr. And I'm I'm not actually sure if this person wants me to name him on the podcast. So let's just say it was a diehard Rockets fan that I have a great deal of respect for. Anyways, like he was bringing up all sorts of legitimate question marks about Kevin Porter Jr. His his defense, his ball dominance, etc. And I was like, there's no re- real reason to stress about all these things right now because he's twenty year he's a twenty year old prospect who the Rockets got for free and didn't waste a first round pick on. And they're not having to make a contract decision anytime soon. You don't really have to be. You don't really have to have an established opinion on him yet. Houston can afford to hold on to him and just watch him grow for a year before they decide whether or not they want to cut bait with him or not. And it's ironic we're having this conversation two weeks later, just forming, trying to form an opinion on him. I still think largely he's a giant mystery box. Like he could be anything from Jamal Crawford to Jamal Murray. It's just impossible to tell right now. What I do know is he's an intriguing enough prospect to where I would be hesitant trading for him. And like listeners need the, listeners of the podcast need to hear what I'm saying here. This is not me saying Kevin Porter Jr. is untradeable. I've said, I've said it before. I'm of the belief that everyone on this roster has a price tag because there's no clear tr- superstar here. What I'm saying, though, is that he is the hardest to trade. He is the one true young prospect that the Rockets have right now. The Rockets have prospects, but they're all in their mid-20s, right? A- aside from K.J. Martin, Kevin Porter Jr. is the only true young prospect that they have. And I'd be well, I'd be really hesitant to move him right now. If I'm Houston, I want to watch his development curve re- very closely. I think pairing him with John Lucas was a stroke of brilliance like that was definitely uh one of their best hires over the past five years bringing in john lucas in the organization and i just i think it's fine to be patient with them for right now yeah and, and there there's definitely not a need for again i think rockets fans have a sense of like you know they, they want some instant gratification right from this james harden trade and unfortunately you're just not going to get it like you're going to have to be patient you're going to have to wait um and to your point about, about Kevin Porter Jr. And, you know, I, I completely agree that everybody on this roster, there, there isn't a, an untouchable on this roster. I I think, you know, if, if, if any of the other 29 general managers picked up the phone and called Rafael Stone right now, he would hear out offers for every single player on this team, because you're right. There isn't a clear cut number one star guy. I mean, Christian Wood is the closest you get to that player. Um, but again, I don't view Christian Wood as untouchable. Kevin Porter Jr. is not untouchable. But you're right. The the floor and the ceiling, there's such a vast range as to what Kevin Porter Jr. could be. I genuinely think that his his floor is at least like sixth man of the year, right? You threw out you know, Jamal Crawford as an example. I think somewhere in that line, right, Jamal Crawford... Jordan Clarkson, Lou Williams, you know, Lou, Lou Williams. Right. Yeah. Another one, you know, a, a guy with a bit more uh, playmaking than maybe those two other guys. This episode is brought to you by Cox home life. Cox helps make your home smarter and your life easier. And now you can use your contour voice remote to connect to your home life cameras. So you can view them right on your TV screen using simple voice commands. That makes it easy to keep tabs on what's happening around your home, right from your couch. Need to keep an eye on the kids when they're playing outside? Just say, show me my backyard camera into your Cox voice remote and watch them while you're in the house. If you're waiting for a delivery and want to make sure it's there on time, no problem. 
Say show me my driveway camera to check on it with your home life HD cameras on the TV screen while you go about your day. When you live in a home powered by Cox Internet, you can stay connected to what matters and let Cox take care of the rest. To learn more about all the benefits of your connected home, visit cox.com slash this is home. Um, and, and a guy who was willing to get to the free throw line at a high clip. And that that's something, you know, I harp, I harp on that for a reason, because if he can do that, he can become one of these productive players that we're listing right now. Like it's just, it's just, a, it's such a valuable skill to acquire and work on. And I feel like that's one of the, you know, number of things that he over the off season needs to get with John Lucas needs to get with other trainers just to get that willingness to hit, to, to, you know, get hit. Like I think it's okay that he's not doing it right now. He's twenty years old. It's fine to be to have weaknesses in your game, especially when you're a guard. But this is something I would definitely put on the ledger. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff. And it affects everything. Which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Absolutely. And I think that, you know, with an off season, you know, a full off season with the with the training staff, with the coaching staff, you know, they're going to find ways to further unlock his game, right? And that's how you identify, you know, you separate for, uh, you know, the, the good players from the great players, right? Is the great players, you know, spend their off seasons, they come back, they add, you know, something new to their bag, um, you know, a new wrinkle to their game, you know, something, you know, you look, you think to James Harden right now, he came back with the floater, right? He, his game became, you know, I don't want to say predictable because that's a disservice to how, you know, to his excellence, um, but he came back with the floater and that completely unlocked a new dimension to his game where, you know, when you had bigs who were dropping all the way down in the paint, he suddenly had this go-to floater that he could, you know, hit with regularity. And suddenly it was just a whole new, okay, well, how do we defend James Harden? Again, he added a floater to his game and now we can't just have our bigs drop all the way back because it's not, it's no longer just shots right at the rim or at the three point line. He's willing to take those floaters now instead of, you know, still wasn't taking mid range, but the floaters unlocked a new element of his game. And, I think Lou Williams is honestly a perfect comp when you look at Kevin Porter Jr. and, and how he can be effective utilizing his athleticism and you know his length uh, at that guard spot to be able to create contact, but in a different way than James Harden, right? Lou Williams and James Harden both get to the free throw line quite a bit. And they do it in completely different ways. Lou Williams has that patented, right? He drives it in and it's almost like he slows it down to like a crawl for a moment where he establishes that contact with the defender, leans his shoulder in, gets the contact, and then, you know, elevates off that one leg to to kiss the shot off the backboard or just, you know, go up with the shot as the ref is, is blowing the whistle. And I do think that Kevin Porter Jr., can kind of potentially emulate that. It's not going to be the James Harden way of drawing fouls with, you know, powering up through the through the defender and and finishing through all this contact and having guys coming down hacking on your arm and stuff. There's going to be some a fair share of that, but KPJ, you know, is going to have to really work on I think his decision making because you highlighted his his passing ability and and how some of that is just innate, right? You either have it or you don't. The court vision, you know, the passing ability uh, there's definitely a baseline level of that for him. But I do think that 
as you're watching some of these games, like most recently uh, against the Warriors and the Knicks, there were just multiple opportunities where Kevin Porter Jr., you know, basically, you know, pulled his dribble, you know, probably one or two step, you know, a step or two too soon or fired off a pass a little too early, you know, as he's trying to collapse the defense um, or, you know, the way some of the the passing angles that he's choosing uh, are not exactly the best. Um, I highlighted one where, you know, he, he would have essentially, you know, had a wide open three for Kelly Olenek. But as he's driving in, trying to collapse the Knicks defense, he's bringing his defender with him. Uh, the big who had kind of switched, it was a dribble handoff, Kelly Olenek kind of, you know, dishing the ball to Kevin Porter Jr. rolling downhill. And then KPJ takes a couple dribbles directly to the basket. And he's got both defenders focused on him. And he he stops a little too early. Like the big hadn't completely met him yet face to face. So he still had a couple more steps to take uh, before running out of, you know, running out of runway. And he he picked up the dribble too early. And then not only that, but when he turned and kind of pivoted midair to try and get the pass back to Kelly Olenek, he sent it with his offhand. And he sent it with like, I don't know, like 60% power because it barely got to Kelly Olenek. And so it's moments like that where they're going to be able to sit down and Silas and the coaching staff are going to be able to pick apart that moment and be like, look, look, Kevin, right here. You know, you take one more dribble, one more step towards the defender. You're going to have that much more space between them and between Kelly, and you're going to create a wide open look for him. And then it's about getting the pass from point A to B effectively, right? Something we saw James Harden do so much of was drive the ball in, collapse the defense, and then be able to get the pass on the money to the right shooter and making those right reads. And so in that moment, KPJ had the right idea. He he read the defense right, and he got it back to Kelly Olenek. But the pass was subpar. And, you know, that's going to be something that he needs to practice and get better at. Had he had he sent the pass with his dominant hand, which, again, that's a drive that we've seen James Harden make countless times where he drives in with his left hand and then he kind of slingshots the ball back out with his dominant hand to a wide open shooter on the three point line. You know, that's just a moment, a very learnable or a teachable moment for Kevin Porter Jr. and how he can better attack opposing defenses and continue to create for his teammates on the floor. Yeah, another thing I'd point out with him, and this is kind of a weakness and a strength, right? He's really shifty with the basketball, right? He's really, really crafty, uh, and ball handling is a strength. Ball security isn't quite there yet. Like there are moments within a game where he'll dribble and he'll kind of lose his dribble, and you have to ca- you have to go catch it and start the move all over again. And that happens like a few times per week when I'm watching him. It's like like he doesn't quite have a comfort level, like handling the basketball. And if I were a coach, like I don't have the same level of comfort with him handling the ball for most of the possessions, like, like with, as I would with like Mike Conley, right? Like my, like, like I don't have that same level of comfort with them as with other lead ball handlers. He needs to get there and needs to be willing to, you know, work on that stuff because that's again, like if, if he's going to be anything and I do think he is an established NBA player, he's proven that if he's going to be something more, being able to be a lead ball handler and be, and having to carry an offense that's that's going to be a part of his role and he needs to be he needs to get more secure with that stuff i think it even happened in that 50 point game like i think there was a, a play where he even lost the ball then like that kind of stuff just happens too frequently for someone that is is trying to become a lead ball handler it, it kind of makes me think, you know, I'm thinking of the moments exactly as you're highlighting them and describing them. And it makes me think of like, he's almost like, I want to say like drunk Kyrie, like, cause Kyrie Irving has one of the, one of, if not the best handle in the entire NBA. 
and some of the moves that KPJ pulls off, it looks Kyrie-esque, but just not quite as polished, right? Like the handle isn't quite as tight. Some of the dribbles are a little too high or a little bit too wild. And he's like only just barely holding onto the ball as he's completing some of these moves. And he's still completing them, but it's like, you know, at, a, at, at just, you know, just one one little bounce or one misplaced fingertip here or something. And that ball could be in the in the opposing team's hands. And, you know, suddenly it's a fast break, you know, and an easy two for the other team. Right. Process over results there. Right. Yeah, ab- absolutely. And, you know, I I think that I, I'm in firm agreement with you there. That's an area that, you know, I would like to see him improve in. But this is also right. The Cavaliers were running him as a small forward. They They didn't have him in this lead guard spot, which is, again, you want to talk about another similarity. Granted, it wasn't from, you know, a forward spot to a guard spot, but uh, Mike D'Antoni stepping into the the head coaching job here in Houston and then telling James Harden, hey, guess what? You're my point guard now. And Harden going, oh, I guess I guess I am. And then he led, what did he do? He led the NBA in assists per game. So what did the Rockets do? They saw the talent of Kevin Porter Jr. They saw what he was capable of. And they said, you know what? You're going to come in. You're going to be the lead guard. You're going to be the primary ball handler. We're going to hand you the keys to this offense, you know, when John Wall is not playing. Uh, and we're going to see what you can do. And sure, sure enough, he went out there and he's able to, you know, put that court vision on display, create for his teammates. And I think the more reps that he gets doing it and the, the, the continued reinforcement and confidence from the coaching staff to where this is his role with the team. And I think that was kind of a disservice to KPJ is with John wall still kind of in the fold up until, you know, John wall, you know, has now been sidelined for the remainder of the, of, of the rocket season uh, due to the grade two hamstring tear. Uh, I think it was a bit of a disservice to Kevin Porter Jr. where for you know half the game he's playing off ball next to John Wall and then for the other half of the game he's expected to suddenly become the the primary guard and start facilitating and carrying the offense and, and everything runs through him. That's It's hard to have that mentality shift, right, in the middle of a game, going from this role to this role. Um, and we, we kind of saw Russell Westbrook struggle with that, right? Where when Russ was out there with James Harden on the court, he was expected to play a certain kind of way. And then when James Harden sat down, it's like, all right, here's the keys to the offense. You're, you're in charge for four and a half minutes while James gets a breather. And it's really tough to change your mindset in the middle of a game on how you're approaching in inside that game. So I, I think that I that's really a like little that. bit unfair for KPJ. I really like that comparison with Russ because like they both have that thing where they're just not really effective without the basketball right now, right? Like Kevin Porter Jr., the jump shot's just not there. He's not ready to play without the basketball yet. Like that's going to take some time and some and some hours in the gym. He needs to work on that three point jumper. I'm actually confident he can get there. Like there are a lot of people that are like wondering whether or not he'll actually pat that down like he's his level of confidence shooting the basketball and his his swagger just i have i have the mechanics are there like the shot mechanics are there he has he has a good looking jumper he doesn't release his jump shot at the at the at the bottom of the apex of his jump like russell westbrook does so i mean like there's no concern there and i do think that you know with an off season of you know him understanding where he's at, what his role is, you know, what the expectations are of him moving forward with this Rockets organization, that he is the lead guard that he needs to be able to not only, you know, effectively create those those three-point opportunities for himself, but just be a reliable three-point shooter. I think you get him anywhere, I'd say you get him about 35% reliably from the three-point line, and that's going to further unlock the rest of his game because then 
opposing defenses are going to have to treat him as a shooter, right? They're not going, they're going to have to close out hard on him. And that's when he can really further unlock his ability to both create for his teammates off the bounce, as well as continuing to create for himself uh, with, you know, shots right at the rim, uh, you know, created off of uh, defenses, you know, having to rotate towards him because he's, he's suddenly a reliable three point shooter. Yeah, right now he just has like jazz hands when he doesn't have the basketball, right? He's constantly asking for the ball when he when he doesn't have it. And he's not he's just standing still. Like it, he's not ready for it yet. Like he's like it it sounds weird for me to say like someone is more fitted to handle the basketball before playing off the basketball, but for with him it's really the case. He needs to be he needs to have the ball in his hands, iron out that stuff before he even gets to a point where he can comfortably shoot catch and shoot jumpers. He's just not there yet. I did. I was cautiously optimistic at the idea of him and John Wall, you know, being, you know, really being forced to share the backcourt together, that that might kind of um, accelerate KPJ's ability to play off ball with another lead guard. And that was kind of, uh, you know, I had my ulterior motives there because if the Rockets, you know, luck out with the number one overall pick and they, you know, bring Cade Cunningham to the fold, then, you know, KPJ is going to have to be able to play a little bit more so off ball. I do think that those two players uh, hypothetically can coexist just fine on the basketball court. More ball handlers, more playmakers is never a problem in the NBA because it just means more ability to create good looks for your team. But that being said is you would be wasting Cade Cunningham if you suddenly forced him into an off-ball role simply because KPJ is not comfortable not having the ball in his hands. So I was hopeful that we would see some progress there, especially with you know, Rockets fans clamoring for the better part of almost an entire decade saying that James Harden, you know, does nothing off ball, doesn't do anything, doesn't move, you know, is lazy off ball, doesn't do anything. So, you know, I think that that was another area where it's like, oh, well, hey, another Harden comparison. Like maybe we can nip this in the bud a little early rather than, you know, get eight years down the line and be like, hey, why doesn't he move when he doesn't have the basketball? And like, he's just, he's just really streaky right now. And, you know, there are, there are a lot of players that just don't have it early. Like Jamal Murray was one of those guys. He, he didn't have the three-point jumper early. Like, a lot of young guards just don't. Uh, yeah, and I, I, again, I think that there's a lot that he does do well that can't be taught. Again, you get to those innate things, some of his the, the physical tool set that he possesses. Um, you know, we've talked about the court vision at length already. Uh, just so many of those things that you you can fix a jump shot right and i think another great example although he's not a guard right i think to Kawhi Leonard right Kawhi Leonard came in as a as a defensive minded you know nba player you know he was going to be a defensive stopper his offensive game wasn't you know wasn't what made him profound at all and they just you know slowly worked on that and built that up so i think with the right you know shooting coaches with the right shooting regimen with the right training program this offseason you can get Kevin Porter Jr to a reliable place where that jump shot then further unlocks the rest of his game which he's already got you know shown flashes of being uh you know a really really crafty guard able to get his own shot able to create for others um some of the ways that he gets to the rim you know creating space when there where there is none um i think in the uh, but, it, but in the Bucks game, it happened a couple times, uh, and we've seen it all throughout the the 25 games that he's played at a Houston, as a Houston Rocket. You know, sometimes he'll be in that triple threat position, and then he just you know gets that one crossover dribble, and then gets that first step, and then he is just past a defender. Um, and when, as long as the when the Rockets aren't you know scrambling trying to figure out who's supposed to be cutting and who's you know because their offense has looked just 
all over the place at times, unfortunately. But when when the spacing hasn't been painful, um, Kevin Porter Jr. is able to get to the rim almost at will against some some pretty solid defenders. I mean, Drew Holiday guarded him for at least what was it uh, a handful? You know, a, a, a good portion of that game where he scored fifty. And Drew Holiday is an elite perimeter defender in the NBA. So this, if you're able to do that against one of the premier guard defenders in the league, you know, there's nowhere else to go but up in your career, for me at least. Yeah, I mean, he, he Drew Holiday, if he's not the best guard defender in the NBA, he's probably second. Like, it, it's it's not, like, it's it's really impressive that he was able to do that against Drew. Last area of concern with me with, with, with Kevin Porter Jr., and this is one of those areas where if he doesn't clean this up just a little bit, like, if he's not laughably bad here like he's not gonna he's not gonna reach his potential the defense like he is just so bad on defense it's like comically bad on and off the basketball right now and it's almost like he needs a challenge or something like he like like i I went back and i watched the game where he was defending Harden for portions of that Cavs game and he looked like he was interested in challenging Harden. but the thing is like he right now at least he he doesn't seem like he's challenged at all he he doesn't he looks so disinterested when he when he's on defense and like the off the ball he's just very very lost it's something that if he doesn't become passable here pretty soon he's not going to become playable for big moments like if he he becomes a six man type right he he shoehorns himself into that and i've i completely agree with you there and again we talk about these similarities between <laughs> Kevin Porter Jr. and James Harden, who else had, you know, was was a Shaft and a Fool candidate uh, almost year in, year out for the early part of his Houston Rockets career, uh, one James Edward Harden. So, you know, I think that he absolutely has the tools to be a quality defender. And I think you're right. He kind of has that that selective uh, attention on the defensive end where when he's truly engaged uh when he has a reason to want to be engaged defensively he's he's capable and you know he's i don't think he's ever going to be you know an all nba level defender but the point is is he can't be a net negative on that side right i think he has to get to a point where he's passable and i think he's more than capable of doing that i think right now you're looking at at a team that is the worst team record wise in the nba i do think that their talent level is is Definitely greater than that. The record isn't a true reflection of the talent level of this team, unfortunately. They just dealt with so much adversity this season. But I think it's a confluence of factors, right? They're they're almost at the tail end of the season. Um, you know, they're not really playing for anything, unfortunately. And you know, when, when you've got all these different things going on, I think it it kind of it wears on you, right? It drags on you. They're playing so many games back to back to back to back. Uh, you know, you talked about not watching the games live until recently again. Um, I've been watching every single game live, man. And let me tell you, I, I feel gassed after one of the, you know, the, these weeks where there's five games and seven nights by the end of it. I'm like, I'm like, man, I'm like exhausted. I can only imagine how the players actually feel right. They're the ones actually out there, you know, with physical output, you know, put it, you know, going 110% every single night. Um, and, for me to feel the way that I do mentally exhausted by the end of a week with five games and seven nights, it's got to be tough on the players. So I do hear the concerns and I definitely see them because there are definitely moments where he looks lost, where the defensive rotations aren't there. There's, you know, he's almost aloof on that end of the basketball, but I don't think that's a going to be a mainstay. I don't think that's a permanent, uh, you know, worry. I think that's something that's just kind of more a, 
uh, causality of of the season at hand. It can be though. Like I, you, you look at players like D'Angelo Russell, like he's never been able to get over that. Like a, a lot of young guards just aren't able to get over that. Uh, it's a quality you see often in the NBA. Like if you aren't like solid from day one, like if you're not laughable on day one, it gets really really hard to improve. It it just you look throughout NBA history, like, of course, there are examples where this isn't the case. Harden is one of them. Harden got to a place where he was passable. But if, if you're not there on day one, it gets really, really, you're behind the eight ball right away. So this is why I have this as my number one concern for him. If he can get over this, if he can get to a point where he's not laughable, um, you know, he there's something here. There's something here. There really is. And the the good news is, right, there's definitely some some parts of defense that are kind of instinctual that are, that are just you know you very similar to the court vision uh, you know bit that we were talking about earlier. Sometimes you just have it or you don't, right? Some of the the elite, the all time great defenders, they just read things and react better, you know, quicker, faster, better, you know, than anybody else ever could. Um, and some of it's you know just defensive IQ, awareness, whatever it may be. But a lot of defense is also just effort based, right? You can be an NBA average defender just by trying harder, like legitimately. And I think with the right, you know, with the right resources, with the right group around him, with the right mentality shift, um, you know, getting, getting a fresh start next season, you know, not being thrust into, you know, into an NBA uh, team that's, you know, already spiraling, which this Rockets team was when Kevin Porter Jr. finally joined the fold. Um, not having the off the court drama that he had to start this NBA season. So much of this, uh, you know, I think we're going to be able to see and really be able to come away with a, a better grasp of what he's going to be like moving forward next season, right? If we start up next, you know, the next NBA campaign and KPJ still looks the same defensively, you know, five, 10, 15, 20 games into the season, and he's still lost defensively, still not trying, still giving, you know, ha- half-assed effort here and there, then I think we kind of realize, okay, this is what he is, unfortunately. But I'm not ready to make that that claim about him quite just yet. I, I'm, I, you know, I'm kind of, uh, you know, going with a bit of a longer leash here. Kevin Porter Jr. is like the definition of a no stakes project development project. Like they, they literally invested nothing in him. They, they, they traded nothing to get him. Uh, they, they don't have to worry about a contract decision anytime soon. So they, they can afford to wait. Like they, they, there's no, there's no reason you have to make a decision on him anytime soon, unless someone's offering you something that you just can't turn down. Right. But like, I don't see any offer like that on the table for game Porter junior right now. I do. I just think he is someone again, he, you didn't get anything from the Harden trade. This is something you can kind of sell to your fans as like, okay, well, this this kind of makes up for it, right? We didn't get a blue chipper from the James Harden trade, but we got a blue chipper somewhere else. A potential blue chipper, I think, is is, is right. I mean, you know, and, and I will say that well, I can I do agree that there's no need for the Rockets to rush this situation with Kevin Porter Jr. I will say that I think there are a couple variables that might. Uh, kind of push things in one direction or another. And the first variable is what happens with the draft this year, right? If the Rockets do walk away with a prospect like a Cade Cunningham or a Jalen Suggs, you know, what does that mean for the future of the backcourt of this Rockets organization? Um, And the other part of this is John Wall. What do you do with John Wall? What's going on there? Um, What do you do with Eric Gordon when he comes back? You know, this Rockets team, has some questions surrounding it and who they're going to 
allocate minutes to what direction this franchise is going to go. And I think that there are going to be some very hard conversations had with John Wall this offseason about the direction of this team. I don't think he's ready to be strapped in for two more years for a rebuild, but I also don't think it's realistic for the Rockets to find a trade partner uh, given the albatross contract that John Wall is currently saddled with. And given their experience already trying to trade a quote-unquote untradeable contract and the consequences stemming from that transaction, I don't exactly see them jumping the gun uh, on moving John Wall just because they don't like the size of his contract or they don't think he fits the timeline. Um, and then the, that kind of begs the question, does that impact the development of Kevin Porter Jr.? Does that stunt the growth of KPJ? Or does that stunt the growth of a potential top four pick in a Cade Cunningham or a Jalen Suggs type, you know, the type of player who would need to occupy minutes in the backcourt for this Rockets team. So I do think that there's a couple variables here and there that might push things one way or the other and potentially kind of illuminate, uh, you know, myself, you, the fans as to how highly or, you know, or where they play, where they're placing their value on Kevin Porter Jr., whether they think, okay, yeah, he's here to stay. We have a lot of faith. He's going to be the guy for us down the line. Or if they think, you know what, you know, we're bringing in Jalen Suggs and, John Wall's still here and KPJ hasn't progressed quite how we thought he was going to, you know, we're going to start bringing him off the bench, right? We're going to start Suggs and we're going to bring KPJ off the bench. A situation like that, right, would would very clearly show where their priorities lie in the future. Yeah, for me, I don't know. I, I just don't see that as much of a concern. And here, here's why. I've just seen so many times guys develop in the background, even when they're not getting opportunities. And once they get that opportunity, they shine through. Like, like CJ McCollum's a great example of this, right? That's a Talk about a guy who was not getting opportunities to handle the basketball. And the moment he became a starter, he broke through, right? Like, I, it's possible to keep developing in the background. And there are other stories like this. You know Michael Porter Jr. Right, like the moment Jamal Murray goes down, he 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 breaks through. Right, like sometimes it's possible to just keep working, keep grind, keeping your head down and work. And once your once your number is called, you can still show that you're you know you're the real deal. And I think it's as long as the Rockets keep Porter Jr. in house, um, if they want to keep him house, if they still see that potential in him, um, I don't I don't see the the too many ball handlers issue being that much of a, a big deal. Well, just as long as they don't accidentally uh, give his locker to somebody else. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, but, but right. And I, 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 I just there, but legitimately that is something to consider is, you know, mentally, how would KPJ, you know, approach that, right? Would he have the maturity necessary to be willing to take a back seat to, you know, another prospect in, again, we, you know, using Jalen Suggs as the example, right? If he's suddenly taking a backseat to another young player, how does he react? How does he handle that situation? Does he have another meltdown? Does he get frustrated? Does he, you know, get removed from the team because he can't handle it, you know, emotionally, mentally, whatever? Or does he just say, you know what? I get it. I accept it. You know, I'm just going to work hard and, and be the best version of myself that I can be so that, like you said, when my number is called, I'll be ready to go out and shine the way that I know I can. And that's something that we just, we don't know we're speculating on, but hopefully as we've already kind of highlighted the pairing of Kevin Porter jr. With John Lucas, you know, hopefully that relationship continues to blossom and Kevin Porter jr. Continues to, you know, again, kind of stay away from any, any problematic situations or, or, 
you know, no more, no more, no more visits to the strip club, right? No more booby trap. Um, you know, just, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, you know, there, there's a lot of speculation on that end, uh, and trying to figure out what direction this, this franchise is going to go and, and how things are going to play out. It, it feels like so much, you know, people ask me questions about this Rockets team all the time. And I feel like I have to, co- you know, give cop-out answers every time. Cause I'm just like, well, it could be this, or it could be this, or maybe this situation, but we won't find out until the draft because, like, the draft is the next domino. Like, it's the next domino no, no, that no. has to fall. The draft lottery is the next. Oh, domino. I apologize. You're you're right. Sorry. Yeah. I thank thank you for the clarification. You knew what I meant, but yeah, but yeah. So the draft lottery is the next domino that has to fall, and that'll be you know kind of the the fork in the road for the franchise. Do they keep their pick and do they add another quality piece to this you know quote unquote young core, or do they lose their pick to the Thunder? And then suddenly kind of delay this rebuilding process by, you know, uh, you know, two to three years if they don't walk away with a top prospect in this draft after a season where you finish uh, as the worst team in the entire association. Yeah, it really is a make or break draft. Like it, this could accelerate you five years or put you back two or three years. Like it, it's it's definitely a high stakes uh, ping pong ball the Rockets are working with. Um, yeah, again, like, like I, I, going back to the, I don't want to harp on it too much, but like I've seen situations where guys can, you know, go through in the background. Like Clint Capella is a, is a great example, right? Like guy who was playing behind one of the best centers in the NBA at the time and Dwight Howard. And he just became the best six man he can possibly be. Now you need to have a certain mentality for that. As you just said, right? You need to have the mentality to be like, I'm going to be the best six man I can be. I can, I'm going to be the best player in my specific, specific role that I'm, that I can be. And the off-court stuff is something the Rockets definitely need to monitor, and 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 probably the bi- the biggest question mark with Kevin Porter Jr. Can they keep him in the in the in the right? Can can John Lucas, you know, steer him clear of any you know bad foibles? And can they get to a place with Kevin Porter Jr. where it's just basketball, where they're just talking about the holes in the game that we were talking about earlier in this podcast? Well, and I do think that you know for a guy like KPJ and for, for many people, right. Basketball is like a sanctuary, right? If you are having, you know, issues off the court, um, you know, being able to just step, you know, step on the court, lace them up and just, just get out there and start hooping. It's easier to then kind of forget about, or, or, you know, get rid of those problems that might be plaguing you and just focus on the game. And, And I think that that's something that, you know, KPJ didn't have uh, for al- almost, you know, an entire year, right? Get, you know, the the NBA getting shut down because of the pandemic. Then things come back. The Cavs aren't in the bubble, all of this. Then he has the, the locker room drama. Then he's still sidelined even longer. And I think you could just tell, like the moment he hit the court for the Vipers, you know, and was able to just start playing basketball again. You know, he was, I, I think his very first game, like he cracked a gigantic smile, like, you know, a few minutes into the game. And you could just tell how happy he was to be back out there on the court. Um, so, and I do, I will say that despite all of the issues that this Rockets team has been faced with this season, I do think that the, the group of guys that they have, they've all like bought in to each other. Like there's, I don't think there's any like locker room cancer going on right now. Like nobody's name calling, uh, nobody's blaming each other for, you know, for the team's struggles. They understand they've been, you know, dealt a tough hand that they, you know, it's kind of a bad beat right now but that things are going to be looking up because they believe in themselves and they think that they, they believe that they're way more talented than what the record truly reflects. And I think you kind of see flashes of it, right? You see glimpses of, 
you know, the camaraderie that this team, this group of guys shares, you know, when they're discussing things post game, the way that they talk about each other, um, the way that they kind of, you know, bring each other up. You saw, you know, after KPJ drops his 50 point game, right? Everybody on the team congratulating him all over social media, you know, in, you know, in the post game chats, talking about how special he was, all these different things. And that's, you know, that's stuff that those guys don't have to go out of their way to do that, right? Those, that's just these, these guys like each other. They really do. They've bought into each other. And I think that you're looking at this young core of Wood, Tate, Kevin Porter Jr. and KJ Martin. And I think everybody else is kind of, I don't want to say expendable, but you know, I think it's those four that you're really kind of looking at as like, that's the foundation moving forward. And if you add a top prospect to that group of talented young guys, and I say young, right? Obviously Christian Wood is 25, Jay Sean Tate's 25, not your traditional everyday rookie, but 25 is still definitely a workable timeline in the grand scheme of, of things as far as the NBA is concerned, because you've got, you know, conceivably two, three more years before those two guys are kind of rolling into the primes of their careers. And then you'd have conceivably Kevin Porter Jr., KJ Martin, and whoever the prospect is out of this draft kind of on the up and up, so to speak, kind very similar to the timeline that the Denver Nuggets are kind of operating on with Nikola Jokic and Jamal Murray, if that makes sense, right? Is, you know, Jokic is a few years older than Murray, but they're still very much on on Jokic's window, and it's not like they, they have to rush to do something. The Denver Nuggets have this gigantic window where they're going to be able to be competitive with that trio, that big three of Jokic, Murray, and uh, Michael Porter Jr., and now Aaron Gordon thrown into the fold as well. They're going to be good for a very, very long time, and I think the Rockets are kind of teeing up to be in a similar position uh, via this rebuild. Yeah, listen, like I, I don't want to touch this fire right now. Like, we'll, we'll, we can talk about timelines and all that stuff on another podcast. I was actually surprised that we got, we got this much out of Kim Porter Jr. Like, I was worried. Like, how long can we possibly talk about one player? We got fifty four minutes out of it. So you should know by now, man. I'm very verbose. I can we could go for another hour, and I'm sure we could find some other wrinkles to talk about. So yeah, yeah, I, I am not. I am not. <laughs> I am not verbose. I I prefer actually being the opposite of verbose, but. Um, we, we did, we did get a good podcast out of this. Um, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Follow me on Twitter at Somali NBA, follow Jackson on Twitter. What's your Twitter handle at JT Gatlin. And of course you can also follow at locked on rockets for all the updates from the podcast and subscribe to his podcast and give him five stars as well. <laughs>